Me, 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 but also you. <laughs> the Pharaoh fast forwards his favorite foreign film. Powder donut. <clears throat> okay, what's my line? Uh, the only line I see here on the script is get options based on your budget with the name and price tool from Progressive. Oh man, that's a tongue twister, huh? I'm sorry, I'm gonna need a few more minutes. <clears throat> bulbous Walrus, the Bulbous Walrus. The Name Your Price tool, only from Progressive. The owl ran afoul of the comatose Coxswain. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to Accelerate Your Business Growth with your host, Diane Helbig. Diane is a leading small business development and leadership coach, author, and speaker who is passionate about sharing valuable ideas, tips, and techniques with business professionals worldwide. Diane brings you the world's experts and gurus in all things business, whether it's sales, structure, social media, planning, or plateauing, guests bring their expertise and energy to each episode. When growing your business is your focus, Accelerate Your Business Growth is the show to listen to. Got a topic or guest suggestion? Let Diane know. The goal is to make sure you have the information you need to move your business forward. Thanks for joining us. Settle in and enjoy. Hello, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us. Today's podcast is sponsored by Audible.com. Audible.com is a leading provider of spoken audio entertainment and information. Listen to audiobooks whenever and wherever you want. Get a free book when you sign up for a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash businessgrowth. This podcast is continuing to gain recognition as a resource for small business owners, aspiring entrepreneurs, current entrepreneurs, and sales professionals. From People First to Inc.com to MSNBC's Your Business, a whole bunch of other sites, Accelerate Your Business Growth Podcast is enjoying inclusion on lists of the best podcasts to listen to. This is because uh, we have really been fortunate in getting some incredible people to join me in a conversation where they come, they, they give of their time and their expertise so that all of you out there can do better things in your business. Today's no different. Today, my guest is Craig Silak. With over 20 years of experience facilitating deep inner work, Craig developed purpose mapping to bring his own life into alignment after walking away from a seven-figure business and what he thought would be his ideal life. Now, he guides high achievers around the world to realize their full potential by clarifying their purpose, aligning with their flow state by playing to their strengths, and making a meaningful contribution every day, one tiny step at a time. Executives, entrepreneurs, investors, and professionals around the world seek Craig's guidance when making life-changing decisions. Thanks so much for joining me today, Craig. Yeah, it's great to be here. I, I really appreciate this subject. I, I, it, there are some that we don't talk about enough. This is probably one of them. Um, so talk with me some about leadership and why it's so crucial to lead with purpose and and get your teams aligned around that purpose. Super. You know, 
I've been doing a lot of research. I'm actually working on a new presentation and um, I've just been doing research on what are the metrics around purpose? Because purpose can be such an abstract thing. And there's some metrics that I really found powerfully um, insightful for business owners, business leaders, managers, and, and people joining businesses, right? People that are um, working in companies and want to get hired into positions. What I'm finding is that uh, particularly with the Generation Y, they want to work with companies that lead with purpose. They want to work with managers who can help them develop their purpose. They want to work or they want to buy from companies that are leading with purpose. And Corn Ferry came out with some research a few months ago. Companies that are leading with purpose are experiencing four times, so 400% greater compounding annual growth rates than their competitors. And what that means is it's like that. If you ever, if you looked at Bitcoin, you see that exponential curve, right? Yeah. That's, that's what compounding annual growth looks like. So this is the reason that Google outstripped Yahoo and Alta Vista and all of these long forgotten competitors because of their compounding annual growth rates. So if you've got a compounding annual growth rate four times that of your competitors, this is going to become the category killer of durable competitive advantages in what I call the age of purpose. And so that's what we're entering now. And that's why it's so important for business leaders in particular to be clear on their purpose and clear on their company's purpose and then to align their ranks all the way down so that everybody is aligning their purpose. Here, here's another fascinating stat. Um, I associate living our purpose with our flow state. Right, The reason that we are born is to give a gift to the world, and we can tell when we're doing that because time stops, right? The ego falls away, that inner critic that's constantly chattering away, cutting us down all day long, it just disappears. And that's that transcendent state of being in flow where we're performing at our best and we feel at our best that we all crave. Right? This is zone of genius. It's not just zone of excellence. It's zone of genius. It's the self-actualization part of Maslow's hierarchy. And McKinsey did a 10-year research study on executives and found that executives in flow are 500% more productive than when they're not in flow. So this is, these are just some of the stats that I've come up with that ground this idea of purpose and flow in some real metrics. And I think it makes it pretty plain why it's so important in the coming years. Okay. So I, I, I get that. I mean, when you say that, I'm not sure I would have thought of it, but when you say it, I, I get it, that when you know what your purpose is and you are working in your purpose, then that flow state feels like it would be automatic because yeah. you would be so connected back. Okay. Um, so how do I want to ask this question? It, it, this is a weird question for me. It's like, okay, so there are companies with purpose and people want to buy from companies with purpose and they want to work for them. How does a company figure out what their purpose is and, and what purposes are meaningful? I know that may sound like a strange question, but I could have a purpose. It could be to make a ton of money. That's not really a purpose. That's a byproduct. Ah, very good. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's the interesting thing is that, you know, uh, the, the generation Y, they 
you know, the, the research, I mean, if you look at there's, there's uh, academic research on the generation Y, I, I, I resist calling them millennials. I'm trying to retrain my brain because every, <laughs> every, every one in that generation always gives me a sour face and it's, it's such a pejorative term at this time. So, you know, I'm, I'm Gen X, I'm kind of like right on the cusp and it's just like, I'm trying real hard to be respectful. Um, but yeah, so Gen Y, you know, they, all, all the research is coming back. Uh, what they're saying is they're, they're choosing purpose over profits. But what's ironic about it is, is when you lead with purpose, your profits, are, <laughs> they grow tremendously, right? So it's this right. paradox. Um, but this goes all the way back to, you know, Andrew Carnegie, who was, you know, the world's first, I can't remember if it was him or Rockefeller, but, you know, one of the first billionaires on the planet and certainly one of the all-time richest Americans, if you convert his wealth into today's dollars, um, you know, nobody can touch him. I mean, he was like $400 billion. I think Bill Gates is somewhere around 60 or something like that. So, um, so you know, he talks about purpose and the whole book, Think and Grow Rich was basically Andrew Carnegie saying to Napoleon Hill, hey, listen, um, I want you to go and talk to all my buddies, you know, Thomas Edison and Henry Ford and, you know, all of these people that are the captains of industry. And one of the things that he came back with is they all had a burning desire, which was their purpose. And so this has always been the deciding factor in who's going to, you know, not just succeed, but just become legendary. Who's going to blow, blow the doors off of this thing. And so when we're talking about business purpose, I, I, I got a lot of my definitions for purpose mapping from uh, Jim Collins. You know, he wrote Built to Last and Good to Great and a book that um, a good friend of mine turned me on to called Beyond Entrepreneurship, which you can only get in paperback, but it's just extraordinary. It's just an exquisite book. And it's right up there with the e-myth for, for small business owners. And the way that Jim Collins defines, he, he really makes distinctions between purpose, vision, and mission. And they're very distinct things. So how do you figure out what your company's purpose is? Well, you know, it's the reason your company exists. Why does your company exist? Of course, there's got, it's got to be profitable or it, wouldn't, it would cease to exist, but that's not the reason it exists. It exists to solve some problem, some unique challenge in an interesting way. That's your company's purpose. And it's usually aligned with the purpose of, of the founders. And, uh, and so, you know, succession planning and hiring uh, additional managers, it's very important to make sure that you're not just hiring for skills, you're hiring for culture and culture comes down to alignment with purpose and the core values that go into how we're going to go about living this purpose and, and realizing this purpose. And then the mission, which is the big, hairy, audacious goal, the BHAG that Jim Collins talks about. And, um, and so, you know, what I do with purpose mapping is I look at what are those items for the individual. And then when you combine, you know, a bunch of people's uh, who are clear on their purpose and clear on how they want to get there, that's where you get a company. And as the, the Moorish saying is, choose your mates before you choose your road, because depending on what kind of strengths you're playing with, your road could be very different, right? You would take uh, the high road or the low road or take the mountain pass or go along the river, depending on mm. what you're bringing with you. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I really like that. So can you give me... An example of a company's purpose and their mission so people can hear what that difference is because I do think it gets muddled. 
Yeah, well, purpose is going to be more abstract in general. So okay. a purpose would be something like, let me just grab one here. I actually, I like to keep this book handy. And um, uh, let's see, we got some purpose statements here. Um, so, so for instance, um, where's the one I really like? I like the, I'll give you, uh, well, here's Merck, right? So we're in the business of preserving and improving human life. So that could look a lot of different ways right? You're living yeah. your purpose all the time. But then the mission, you know, the mission is sort of the big hairy audacious goal would be, you know, we want to, whatever, Bill Gates has uh, a mission to uh, eliminate polio, right? And so the way I talk about it is your purpose is like your North Star, right? It's like, it, well, it's not your vision is your North Star. Your purpose is the reason you exist. Your North Star is this, this um, vision that you're, you're reaching for that you'll never actually attain. Right. Um, but you're always reaching for it. And then your mission is this mountain that you're climbing to get as close to that North Star as possible. And but you'll actually get to the top and plant your flag. So curing polio, right? Eradicating polio, that's actually gonna happen in our lifetime. Bill Gates will get to the top of the mountain, plant that flag, and say, I did that, and then look out again and decide, okay, now what mountain do I want to climb? So that's the difference. The difference is, is that you're always living your purpose. You may clarify it a little bit, but it's never going to fundamentally change. And that's the key distinction. That's so great. Thank you for that. Yeah. Thank you. That, oh, yeah, that totally resonates with me. I, I get yeah. it. Okay. Wow. Okay. So I want to take a quick sponsor break. So I have, and then we can <laughs> really just – Pay attention to the conversation. So sure. Accelerate Your Business Growth Podcast is happy to be sponsored by Audible.com. Audible.com is a leading provider of spoken digital audio entertainment and information. They have over 150,000 titles to choose from, and you can listen to them on any device, including whatever you're hearing us on right now. If you sign up at our link, which is audibletrial.com slash businessgrowth, you get one free audiobook and a one-month trial of the service. Some examples of books you can listen to on audible.com are 80-20 Sales and Marketing by Perry Marshall and The Go-Giver by Bob Berg. So visit audibletrial.com slash businessgrowth, explore the books that are of interest to you, and receive one free audiobook when you sign up for the trial. Today we're talking with Craig Filek about why you need more than purpose. So tell me about Summit Syndrome and why it's actually toxic, if you would. Sure. Yeah. So Harvard Business Review wrote an article called Crisis at the Summit. And it was about uh, executives who would get involved in a career path. And early on, uh, you know, these are high achievers. These are top performers. And so they dive in and there's a big, um, you know, they, they, they've got to figure out, okay, how do I build my network? What, you know, how do I uh, integrate a team? What are the skills that I have to uh, develop here so that I can succeed at this? And, you know, it's, it's challenging, right? I mean, climbing Everest is challenging. But eventually you, you get into your flow and you start to, to really, you know, start cranking. And eventually, you know, we, it's, it's like the 10,000 hour rule. So then you're, you know, you're five, 10 years into your career and pretty soon you're not really pushing your edge anymore. Now you're just kind of on what I call the golden hamster wheel. And what ends up happening when you start to hit that plateau is what I call an existential tailspin. And so in Summit Syndrome, they talk about how uh, these top performers will start to, they start to experience some inner turmoil. You know, there's some things that 
trigger discomfort in them. And so this is where you know, we often might associate this with a midlife crisis, but really what it is, is they're starting to get bored. They're starting to get a little cagey. You know, they want that hit, that, that, that rush of dopamine that you get when you're succeeding. But now it's just kind of, you know, they're not pushing their edge anymore. Again, they're just treading water. They're on this golden hamster wheel. And so they start taking bigger risks or they get into affairs and drug and alcohol abuse, or just doing things that are not really serving a higher purpose because they've kind of achieved this mission and then all of a sudden they take a dip, right? And so they could have some sort of, uh, you know, I don't know, it could be a scandal, uh, something that takes them out of their position of power that they've really worked hard to get to. What they need is another bigger challenge but they're comfortable. And, you know, I'm sure most of your listeners know how it is. You start succeeding. You just see yourself continuing to do that indefinitely. So you get the bigger house, the bigger mortgage, the bigger car payment, right? Uh, private schools, nice vacations. You get accustomed to a lifestyle. And then all of a sudden it's like, I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> I want to shift gears, but I can't. I'm trapped by this golden hamster wheel. And that's a really terrifying place to be. And so they push down those impulses to grow and become more and do more because they have to start over with a whole new set of skills or a new team or a new network. And that's really scary. So summit syndrome is, is, a, is a serious problem. And I think that there's, there's a couple of things that go into how to alleviate that. But the number one thing is making this primary distinction between your purpose and your mission. You will accomplish your mission. Uh, I think there's another reason people go into an existential tailspin is that if they make climbing to this position of success, if they make you know, climbing this mountain their purpose and they get to the top and it's, they plant their flag and they're like, I've, I've achieved my purpose, then they don't really have a reason to exist, right? Just right. a philosophy major, like technically, right? Existentially, they, they've accomplished their reason for existing and now they don't have one. That is just, that's like beyond terrifying. And so they either kind of sabotage their success in that last 20% of the project or they get to the top and they hit this tailspin. And so that's what I've seen just in my own work. And so when you, when you clarify and make that distinction between this existential reason you exist that will always be there until you're no longer existing and just the long range goal that you set that you accomplish and then you kind of start over with another one, you can roll that momentum of the goal you just accomplished into your next goal. And that's what creates a really amazing momentum. And these people become legendary. You know, they become the people that don't just succeed, they self-actualize. Right. That's fascinating. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I love this line of work. I really I'll bet. feel blessed to be, to be involved in, in helping people to accomplish this because I work with top performers all over the world and it's breathtaking. It's breathtaking to watch them kind of crack through this shell because all the information is there. They've been getting you know, uh, hits and intuitive hunches for their entire life. But we're taught, you know, we're shamed out of our authenticity early on. And because the way that we're wired, you know, our DNA hasn't changed in hundreds of thousands of years. And so the, you know, the reason why everybody's greatest fear is public speaking, it's not public speaking. Nobody's afraid to speak in public. People are afraid that they might get kicked out of the tribe, right? Being seen that publicly, yeah. if I say something that they don't agree with, I'm saber-toothed tiger food. That's what people are afraid of. And so yeah. 
Yeah. Right. Okay. And so as, as yeah. children, we hear, no, no, good girls don't do those things. Good boys don't say those things. And so then we grow up trading our authenticity for survival because the tribe is our survival strategy as human beings. And, but we don't live in that world anymore. Right. We, we live in a world where you don't like what I'm saying. Cool. I'll go to another conference. I'll find another niche. I'll go find some clients that, you know, see me and respect me and want what I have to offer. And we have that opportunity now, but 200,000 years of programming doesn't just get overwritten overnight. So all of this authentic, uh, you know, our, what I call our compass, right? Like every cell in your body is calling you to adventure constantly. You know, this whole follow your bliss idea. I grew up with a, a godfather who's a professor and he would toast every holiday meal, follow your bliss. So I kind of had that ingrained in me from an early yeah. Right. And my, my yeah. father was a corporate executive and, you know, the vice president of Sears Roebuck Foundation, you know, was his tennis partner, you know. And so I grew up around these really top performers. And then my mother's world of academia, I got to see sort of the more philosophical side of things and just watch that conversation over the dinner table, you know, throughout the years. And it's been fascinating to watch the way that people hit this crisis and how they handle it. They either sort of skid off the rails and never recover, or it becomes the warning sign that I got to crack open and let out some of this stuff that I've been repressing my whole life. And this whole new life comes through them and amazing things start to happen. It's really remarkable. It is remarkable. So speaking of, of that, the way we're wired and all of that, what is the age of purpose? I love that. So the age of purpose. So, so we had about five, 6,000 years of this agrarian age, right? So you think about like, you know, ancient Greek society, ancient uh, Chinese society, right? The Egyptians, where we started to mass produce food, right? Before that, we were hunter gatherers for, I don't know, 20, 20,000, 100,000 years. Um, and, but we had about five, 6,000 years of, of the agrarian age. And that's when civilizations really started to flourish, right? That's when we started to have these, um, this next layer, this meta layer of society where we had art and science and philosophy and religion and all these things really started to come through. And people started thinking about what is the good life? Right? And that was what I studied in college. I was fascinated by what is the good life? What have we been thinking about for thousands of years? And everybody pretty much agrees. And now we've got positive psychologists talking about, you know, it's eudaimonia is what the Greeks used to call it, or being in flow, utilizing your signature strengths to make a meaningful contribution. It hasn't changed in, in thousands of years. We just talk about it with a little bit more neuroscience these days. And so the age of purpose is, if you look at the past 6,000 years, again, it's that, it's that Bitcoin, you know, exponential curve, right? You got six thousand years but then in the last 300 years we have the industrial age and at the outset of the industrial age about 90 percent of people lived and worked on farms and within 300 years we reduced that down to just one percent of our population lives and works on farms where did they all go they went into industry right they went into factories and and, uh, yeah. and corporations and now with the information age right in the last what 40 years or so what we're finding is, you know, this exponential curve, uh, AI and robotics and just things like Upwork, you know, overseas outsourcing, uh, you got MBAs willing to work for a fraction of what you're willing to work for and do it piecemeal, right? They don't even need a salary. And so that is cannibalizing 
all of the non-creative work that's out there. So over the next 20 years, uh, AI and robotics are, are expected to decimate about half of the jobs that currently exist. Now, there will be new jobs, but we're talking about universal basic income and things that are like, well, we don't know what we're going to do with everybody. And they felt that way about the industrial age, but theorists are saying something's different about this. Because of the exponential nature of this curve, it's just going to outstrip the ability to retrain people and we're going to end up with a large block of our culture that we don't know what to do with because there's nothing productive they can contribute. And so this to me is the opportunity, you know, it's like that old Brian Tracy uh, uh, saying, he would ask, you know, what would you do if, if you, if you didn't have to work for money, right? If you just had a check for a million dollars every year, you got a paycheck for a million bucks, what would you do? If you, had, if you could do anything with your life because you didn't have to work, what would you do? That's the stuff that I've always been interested in. It's like, well, what if we could just live our lives that way now? And all of a sudden, we're starting to breach this, this uh, threshold where that may be all we have left is doing the thing that we're here to do because robots are going to be doing the rest of it for us. So, so that's the age of purpose. And in the transitional phase and you know, for the people that really are passionate about making a contribution to society, I think that the durable competitive advantage always has been, if you look at Carnegie and Edison and Ford, but even more so now than ever, is we have the ability to come fully alive making a real contribution from our signature strengths, activating our purpose with a powerful mission, right? A big, hairy, audacious goal to solve some interesting challenge, to collaborate and create something powerful for the world. This is the age where that is more possible than ever. And I couldn't be more excited. Yeah, I can tell. (laughs) (laughs) Totally resonates for me. I mean, this is definitely something that, that is your purpose. Um, uh, I love that concept, and and actually it gives me hope because of all of the these things that are growing at such a fast rate that really are putting us in a place where humans don't need to be doing these things and, and all this hand-wringing over, okay, so then what are we going to do? It, what you're talking about feels totally liberating for me, so we don't have to do something because we need a paycheck. We get to do what we were put on the planet to do. Yeah. And uh, as you said, a byproduct is we get a paycheck. So um, I am curious, it, though, if you have any thoughts on if there's anything our educational system could be doing. And, and I thought of it when you were talking about your mom being in academia. Is it, it feels like a lot of things need to change in order for us to be able to meet this new age. Mm-hmm. So have, have you, do you, do you have any thoughts on that? You know, I think this is the class we didn't get in high school. Yeah. Right. I mean, that's, that's, that was, that was really when, you know, I think for me, I started waking up. I mean, I'm adopted. So I've, I've just kind of had a lot more pain in my life from an earlier age. And I think, you know, pain and suffering is what causes us to like wake up and look around, right. And start yeah. questioning things. And so for me, it was in high school, but you know, remember when your guidance counselor said, Hey, uh, you know, Diane, we better figure out who you are and and what you're here to do before you pick a college and a career path, because we don't want you to, you know, hit middle age, realize that you're not, you're not really thrilled about uh, how you're living your life. Nobody ever said that. Nobody ever said that to them. And so we just were living this legacy of, you know, we're living the purpose that we were sort of squeezed into the box of. 
uh, which for the industrial age was, you know, follow the bells and show up on time and do the work on the assembly line and go home and buy stuff produced on other people's assembly lines. And if we all do that, uh, the economy will grow and, uh, and we'll win. And it's like, great. Like that was a fun experiment and, you know, (laughs) reached the edges of that and we learned a lot and, you know, that's what's brought us to the point where AI and robotics are going to be able to take over for us. Um, so we don't want to dismiss it, but it's like, you know, we also don't want to, it would be like staying in first grade for the rest of your life. You got to keep growing, right? There's more. Right. Right. So, so I think that, um, you know, what can schools do? I mean, I've spoken with high school classes. Uh, it's really tough. It's really tough. Now there's always innovators, but I think a lot of teachers aren't really living their purpose. They're afraid that if they, uh, you know, if they step into their authenticity and do what they feel most inspired to do, they're going to get cut. They're not going to be teachers any for very long. I mean, I actually substitute taught for a few years right out of college and the kids loved me. The administration hated me, yeah. <laughs> but I wasn't on, I wasn't on the payroll. I mean, I was sort of right. like, you know, they're, they're, they're last resort. So they kept calling me, but eventually I realized I got to get out of here. Like this isn't really a fit. And that's when I got into sales and entrepreneurship because it was a personal growth oriented profession. You know, I got to see Ziggler speak and, and uh, you know, got into Jim Rohn and Brian Tracy and all of these sort of, you know, grandfathers of, uh, of personal development all the way back to Napoleon Hill. And now it's like everybody and their uncles in personal development. I mean, maybe it's just my echo chamber, but my Facebook feed is like nonstop how to be more, how to do more, how to create more, (laughs) how to have amazing, you know, life. And, that's, I think that's just what's in our nature. I think we're built to self-actualize and, um, and this is the generation and this is the time when people aren't really willing to settle for less. And thank goodness. It's, it, it's funny you, when you said, uh, when you were talking about the schools and the guidance counselors and what they didn't do. And I thought, you know, I started my business when I was 45. Mm-hmm. I, I had that midlife this is exactly what I should be doing. This is my purpose. This is mm-hmm. the contribution that I'm supposed to be making to society and has been the, one of the best decisions I, I have ever made. And before then, it was really just doing. And uh, it, it was a life circumstance. My father passed away and my sister and I were, mm-hmm. and brother were talking about it. And it was, okay, I really want to be doing something that has more of an impact. So we, we knew something was missing. It was, yeah. what is it? And so... I think about that and I tell people that that story because there's so many people out there I experience trying to figure out what is my thing. And, and my viewpoint is you're never too old to figure out what it is and why not try? The worst thing that happens is you discover this isn't the thing and you move on to the next thing. But that, that takes an awful lot of faith. A lot of courage. It takes a lot yeah. of courage. Yeah. 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 Which is why I think it often, it it often is precipitated by a crisis. Like you said, like people don't just go, people don't just go diving off of hamster wheels to see what happens. I mean, there's some people like that. I think I'm like that. Um, But you know, as human beings, we crave comfort. We crave stability and security. And you know, there's a couple of crazy people that get into leaky boats and go exploring and discover new worlds, but that's not the majority of people. And so it's really figuring out what are your unique talents? What are your unique gifts? Not your zone of competence, not even your zone of excellence, your zone of genius. You know, the thing that only you can do 
in this particular way, and then finding where that meets what the world needs and what you can really hone your craft around. And so it's the overlap of those three areas that I think becomes your greatest contribution. And that takes a lot of exploration. It takes a lot of failing forward and just a lot of intestinal fortitude. And, uh, you know, we, we just got a puppy. We got a puppy from the shelter and she's a rescue and she's about a year old. And, you know, she's kind of at that age where it's like, I don't know, is she becoming an old dog? Can you really teach her any new tricks? And the truth <laughs> is, yes, brains are plastic. Brains are absolutely there's something called neuroplasticity and we can relearn, we can retrain ourselves. And, you know, there's going to be fear and it's going to be scary. And that to me is the indicator that you're on the right track. Now I talk yeah. about hitting flow. There's actually brain science on this. This is fascinating. So a buddy of mine, um, they, they wrote a book called stealing fire. And, and the book before that was the rise of Superman and they're doing fMRI brain scans on you know uh, world class athletes and musicians, and you know the internet was basically uh, developed by coders who were in flow right and so the whole you know the world is basically uh, comes alive in this flow state and what they found from Mihai Csikszentmihalyi's work he was the he was the psychologist that coined the term flow flow happens just four percent beyond what you believe you're capable of so I like to use the example of an extreme skier. He's been skiing since, you know, he was a baby in utero, right? His mom used to ski with him, right? There's these people that are just kind of born for this, right? And so you get to a certain point where you, you start on the bunny hill and you work up to the green circle and the red square and the black diamond and the triple black diamond. And now you're about to jump out of a helicopter and ski off a cliff. And there's this moment of, oh, I could die. <laughs> and then you go, right? It's that, that's feel the fear and do it anyways. It's not feel the anxiety and like stay on the hamster wheel. No, it's feel the fear like, OMG, this is like a moment where all my adrenaline, it kicks off your flow state. And then you're skiing down the mountain and dopamine starts, you know, rewarding you. And it's like, yeah, do more. This just feels amazing. And the endorphins flow in and you feel like Superman because all the pain just drains out of your body, serotonin, oxytocin, anandamide, and you just feel superhuman. If I jumped out of a helicopter and skied off a cliff, I would die. That is not 4% beyond my comfort zone. That is danger zone for me. And I think we need to, you know, the crisis is a little bit of a, you know, pushes us quite a bit past our comfort zone. But if you can find a way to just lean in just 4%, that's where flow happens. And it's, it's you know, in Mihai Csikszentmihalyi's research, it's that, it's that place between anxiety and boredom, right? You got to dial in the challenge just the right amount. If it's not challenging enough, right, you get bored. If it's too challenging, you have too much anxiety, you're kind of paralyzed. You really got to find that sweet spot. And so I think that's where, you know, anybody listening, um, the question I like to ask my clients is, uh, and you can ask yourself this right now, on a scale of zero to 100, how aligned, fulfilled, and in flow are you feeling in your life these days? And then whatever number you got, what would get you closer to 100? And then you just take one tiny step in that direction. And boom, you get dopamine in your brain. It's like, oh, that feels good. That wasn't hard. You know, I made a phone call. I scheduled an appointment, whatever it was. And then you ask yourself again, zero to 100, where am I at now? Well, I just bumped up eight points. Cool. So well, now what would get you to 100? Well, this, okay, so what one tiny thing can you do now that would get you to move in that direction? And if you just keep doing that over and over and over again, your brain will be so full of dopamine, you'll start seeing the world differently. You'll be more attractive to people and opportunities. I mean, it's, the, it's like the simplest thing. But 
when we don't stretch and challenge ourselves, when we just stay on the golden hamster wheel, stay in the cubicle and keep the blinders on, we lose that ability for dopamine. And we have a huge pharmaceutical market that's happy to sell us uh, you know, extrinsic yeah. dopamine supplements and serotonin regulators and, and not teach us that we're capable of producing it endogenously. And actually, if we're not producing it internally, something's wrong in our life and we need to make some adjustments. Wow, I love that. Mm-hmm. That, that. That is really valuable. Uh, when you ask, the, this is what happens. So you ask the question and everyone out there is thinking about the answer and I'm thinking, okay, where would that be? And, and I love this idea of, cause this totally resonates with me that, okay, then just take a step, just do something yeah, and start working yourself up that ladder. And then it, it, it's like starting a fire. Yes, exactly. Wow. Yeah. 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 Tony Robbins never leaves the site of a meeting without taking one small action step towards making success inevitable. So whatever he just decided, you know, whatever clarity he reached with whoever he was in the meeting with, before he leaves the site of that meeting, he calls his assistant and says, Hey, put this on my schedule or, you know, makes a phone call and says, Hey, we need, you know, let's, you know, let's move this thing forward. you know, whatever it is, a tiny little thing. And then that keeps the ball rolling. And so if you just Absolutely. did that one thing every day, be right. amazed at how quickly your life would change. And it's not jumping off of a cliff. I mean, I, I've had clients that are like, yeah, I, I do that kind of hella skiing. I landed in an avalanche twice, once face up and once face down. And both times there was a moment where I didn't think I was going to make it, but he keeps doing it because flow is so compelling, right? So it's just finding yeah. what your flow state is that just, as one of my mentors said, gets you up in the morning with your blood singing, right? It's just like, this is why I'm alive. This is yeah. what I'm about. Yeah, right. It's so interesting for me. I just did a workshop yesterday about uh, business planning and this was a big part of it was just do those little steps just take everything put them down into really small little steps and then just do them yeah and and you will keep moving forward and getting where you want to go and then when you keep track of it and do sort of that litmus test of okay where am I now Mm -hmm. then you know what you need to do next or how how much closer you are to it and it becomes this snowball where it just, it builds and build, the momentum builds and builds and builds. And then it, 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 it exponentially increases. I That's totally right. get it. Yeah. yeah. Wow. I love this. Yeah. Wow. All right. So first of all, thank you so much for joining me and sharing this. This has got me totally revved up. <laughs> nice. um, and, and so tell my listeners how they can find you and what you've got going on and sure. all sure. that. Yeah, go. So I made a special link for your listeners. They can go to purposemapping.com forward slash business growth. So purpose mapping, one word, business growth, one word, uh, purposemapping.com forward slash business growth. And um, yeah, I mean, I've got, uh, I'm not sure what the uh, special offer will be by the time they listen to this and, and get there. I've got people that are finding me years after some podcasts I've done. And, you know, and so the offer might change by the time you hear this, but I'll make sure to have something special up there for you guys. And yeah, it's, this is it. I mean, this is, this is the work of life. And until you get this right, 
everything is built on the wrong foundation and it's always going to be, you know, you're talking about the snowball effect. It's like, yeah, great. Take a step and then take another step and then take another step and you're going to start succeeding. But if you're heading in the wrong direction, it's not, (laughs) right. You got to get this, you got to get your trajectory first, then start taking steps, but you know, you win or you learn. I mean, that that's pretty much all we got in life. So take, just start taking some steps and you can correct course on your way. That's what I say. Yeah, that's great. I'm so with you on that one. That's wonderful. Oh, gosh, thank you so much. Yeah. Um, and love to thank the listeners, uh, you folks. This is what this is who we're doing it for, right? So yeah. keep listening and, and keep taking this stuff and doing great things with it. And we want to thank our sponsor, audible.com. Get a free trial and a free audiobook by going to audibletrial.com slash business growth. Continue to prosper and be curious. And until we meet again on another episode of Accelerate Your Business Growth, goodbye and good day. Coming up on 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not. It's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because... The news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased and essential world news daily.